0: This episode is brought to you by the McDonald's One Two Three Dollar Menu. It's hard to have a friend who's a slow eater because when you finish your McChicken sandwich, watching them finish their McDouble cheeseburger and
1: small fries can be excruciating. Until they notice you staring and offer up a few fries, that must be what friends are for. There's a deal for every moment on the McDonald's One Two Three Dollar Menu. Get a McChicken sandwich, McDouble cheeseburger, four-piece chicken McNuggets, or small fries for just a few
0: bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any offer or combo meal.
2: All right. the one thing
1: I have to do. Right. Well, welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. Uh, my name is Tom Mullen, and as always, Raymond Harkins is with me and with a special guest. Um, very, very, very special. Uh, Eric Richter. Um, from the band Very Christy Front Tribe <laughs> and the 101, <laughs> Golden people City. people feel
0: like that, you and my mom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, actually, I want to quickly say how this kind of came about because, like I said, I, as everyone kind of knowing from this podcast and, and Ray and I meeting through music, I was into this music and just went to shows and uh, randomly, I don't remember when this was, uh, maybe 2002, I can't even remember, a friend that I had um knew that I was into Christy Front Drive and sh- and she knew you and we went out to a bar and I remember hanging out with you and uh you and I remember me obviously nerding for a while but then asking what record were you listening to that got you to make the music that was Christy Front Drive and you told me Buffalo Tom what did I do oh. I bought Buffalo Tom records the next day and then however many years later um you're playing the reunion show at at the bell house and i go up to you and remind you and um and obviously you're super nice and went and chatted and i said hey we should hang out at this jeff bridges thing your girlfriend did not believe us um and i said no we're gonna we're gonna go to the lbowski fest so anyway from that to have you on the podcast and have you dj one of the emo nights it's just great to have you here and i'm excited to kind of chat about the old days
0: Oh yeah, me too. I love the old days. I find them better than the new days. <laughs> no, I, just, I don't know. They just seem better because I was young. But um.
1: I would love to kind of the sort of the formation and I mean sort of the you know the five minute story on just Christy Front Drive and the scene in Colorado and we're gonna get to a lot of stuff from that. But I just really like to be kind of hone in on that and how that kind of came about and where you where you came from to start that.
0: Wow. Um, that's a big question. Um, I just basically I mean, I I was just obsessed with music from a kid. To the point where like my mom was very worried about me as a kid because I was obsessed with kiss and you know, and this was like I'm this is preschool, you know, that my I had an older sister and her friend lived across the street, so they were introducing me to the pan by kiss and I was like when I was at kid, I was just like, Holy shit, this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen, like, these guys wearing makeup, and, like, you know, and, like, they're kind of, like, the. at the time, it's funny, you know, because when I go back and listen, I didn't realize mm-hmm. all the sexual windows they were doing, and you know, like, but I just thought they were the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen, and, you know, I was hanging up kiss posters on my wall, and, um, and then I luckily, I luckily came at age at a time that, you know, I was kind of at the beginning of MTV, too, so, like, I would sit around at home as a child and watch videos all day long you know like whether it be like David Bowie or even Michael Jackson or like I, I wasn't a, a huge Michael Jackson fan but I did enjoy the videos of a kid. but um, I remember being really excited when Death Leopard came on or um you know just like you know, there was so much stuff and then you know as time went on but like, MTV actually had a lot to do with it in some odd way because it was like such a great outlet for a kid in the 80s when they actually used to play videos, you know, that, like, you would see so many different artists. And uh, that's kind of basically how I came into, you know, in contact with a lot of music. And I still listen to a lot of them. Like, in fact, I still this day, love in excess, because I just remember watching those videos, and they were so fucking cool, you know, like... Um, and also just wrote great songs, you know, to me. Like, and that's the thing, is, like, my thing is, like, I love a great melody... And a lot of these bands, you know, there was a lot of great bands in the '80s. That just wrote amazing melodies and um, stuff that would just stick with you all day. But, <laughs> but I was so obsessed with MTV at one point. I can actually almost like predict what videos they were, were going to play every hour because they became so uh, formulaic. Formulaic. I can't talk right now. But pronounce this word for me, Tom. <laughs> what? Formulaic. Yeah, I'm really bad. Yeah, thank you. But um. <laughs> I have a hard time with that. I used to do photography for a long time, but um, and it was actually from the back of a Duran Duran record. But I I just grew up like obsessed with music, you know, to the point that uh, it's all I thought about, you know. And once uh, you know, then all of a sudden like you know, you had uh, what was a metal show? Um,
1: Headbangers Ball.
0: Headbangers Ball, which was, you know, there of different versions. You know, like, maybe early on. And even in Denver, they were. But in the, the, and then we had, uh, you know, Sunday nights when you would have the, uh, it started off, like, the IRS Cutting Edge. Do you remember mm-hmm. the IRS Cutting Edge? I do not. And if you Like, it, the first, like, independent, like, you know, like, it was, like, this indie show was, like, called the IRS Cutting Edge, and they would play Cure videos all night. And it's and the whole time I was watching MTV in that time period, I was, was exposed to all these amazing bands, you know, like, The Cure and, like, and then they would even start getting into like early Brit pop and it was just, it was, every time you'd turn on the television, you're like, holy shit, I've never heard of these bands before, you know, like from all over the place, like, you know, the Trash Tans and and Ride and Swerve Driver and it was fantastic, you know, like, and that's kind of where I came from. I just was obsessed with watching bands and I like think- just really I- into like just watching, like I just thought it was such a cool thing, like my whole life, you know, from an early age.
2: I, I think uh, you, I, I think you,
0: left. oh, sorry,
2: no, no, you're perfect, because I, I think, I think you hit on something that is insanely important, because, I mean, uh, Tom and I are uh, of an age where, I mean, we were both, we remember Headbangers Ball, but I think something that was you know big for myself was like 120 minutes,
0: it, which is oh, yeah, exactly, worth a, I'm it, sorry, I'm not cutting you off, go ahead and finish.
2: No, no, it's fine, I mean, it's exactly the same, it served the same purpose, where it was like, I remember, you know, one night it's playing Rage Against the Machine, and then, you know, the next night they'd be playing My Bloody Valentine, and it was like, you know, your musical palette. Uh, while at that very moment, I liked Rage Against the Machine way more than I liked My Bloody Valentine, but it, it just exposed Bloody you. To, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just uh, it just exposed you to a lot that, you know, now and it's like.
0: What, uh- and 120 Minutes was, like, it was in what came out of, uh, that IRS the Cutting Edge. Which I Iris money And MTV at one point, but, like, there used to be, like, that was what that turned into. And then I have that Adam Curry guy with the mullet come on and start, like, hosting it. That um, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, I mean, 120 Minutes was huge, because was all these bands that I fucking love. Like, I'm you using, know, like, Superchunk videos and Dinosaur Jr. videos and, you know, Firehose videos. And it's like, holy shit, this is the best show ever. How, how yeah. did that
2: how did that kind of transition you into independent culture at all? Or was that just kind of, you know, side of that?
0: I don't know. Independent culture, like that was another thing altogether because I don't know. I, I think it just happened to meet a few people that were like kind of turned me on to that. Um my cousin was a huge influence on me in a lot of ways. I went through this I went through a, I went through every phase of like music. I went through, a you know, a a stretch mental phase where and there weren't really phases, because I still actually listen to all the music. I still listen to Testament and, like, Slayer records, like, all the time. It's not like, once I like something, because that's one thing I don't understand with people, I don't understand how you could like something and not like it later. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you either like it or you don't. And then I still like all that stuff, but I had a cousin that, like, brought a Dead Kennedy's record over to my house, you know, and I was like, holy shit. And I remember that, and you also brought it over the first uh, Minor Threat, you know, like the not the seven inches because we were too old. Yeah. I mean, we were, you know, we weren't old, young enough for that, but I remember hearing the first minor threat, like, you know, the, uh, the one with, uh, his brother on the cover, um, Ian, the K's and I just being like, Holy shit, this is fucking insane. You know, like this is like, I'd never heard anything like this, you know? And, uh, and then from there I bought my first copy of maximum rock and roll. And then started getting into everybody, like started getting into Nikki break and all these other different bands. And, you know, it's just like a progression. If you're really interested in music, you'll just follow it, you know? And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a never-ending moment, though. It's just, like, fun, you know, <laughs> to me. Like, you know, I just love, you know, and fortunately things have gotten, like, less fun lately. But as a kid, I felt like I grew up in a very interesting time of music, you know? You know, like, there was just so much shit going on. You couldn't even, you couldn't even fathom what was going on at the time, you know? Like, minor threats. Like even the Cure, like there's so many great bands. I mean, there was and this huge in between the two. I mean, there was just so much in between, you know. Like, and I just love music so much in general, and like I, was, I just was taking it all in. You know, like a like a fat kid at a at a buffet. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> but, you know, that was my did, whole thing. I, I did. Did <laughs>
2: you did you always know that you wanted to? uh you know, kinda of playing a band after you became exposed to that?
0: I was I was into the idea of being in a band. Like I used to put on shows in my room as a kid. You know. I it started off like I wanted to be in KISS and I would do these shows. I put on Kiss records and I would uh you know, pretend I was in KISS for a while. Um all right, then it turned into like I remember hearing the papers. I remember when training Captain Japanese came out and all but I went out and bought that record and I was into the whole record. But I didn't realize they were ripping off the jam the whole time, but um, it was just kind of big. But yeah, I was always like, I always wanted to be in a band, but now that I'm in a band, I realize what I was thinking at the time was, you know, was completely like, made no sense, you know, when I was a kid. But my parents bought me this bloody rich drum set and I would sit there and play like, anything from like Steve Perry, like, you know, we're trying to figure out the drum beat this that Steve Perry song, the, uh Oh, Sherry, (laughs) you know, like, and just, you know, anything I heard of MTV at the time, but, you know, I was just constantly obsessed with music, I guess. That's kind of where I got to the point, and I've probably gotten off the subject, but, like, that's kind of where I got through Front Drive because I was just constantly trying to just play music in some way. And then we had such a great team in Denver that, like, we just kind of ended up, you know, you just playing. Four people, or people, you know, three other people that want to play music with you. Whatever happens, happens. You know. I guess that's the answer to that question. I'm sorry, I went away off. But, no, no, no.
1: I mean, um, ha, ha, I went too early in the beginning. No, no, like, that's I, fine. I, no, I think. <laughs> no, that was awesome. It I all just... started
0: my parents who wouldn't take me to the circus. Yeah, <laughs> like it. Well, I think <laughs> just
1: when you, you know, meeting the other guys and starting it and and going, when you guys met and all right, this is what we're gonna do. This is what the band is. Take us back to that time, because now, I mean, honestly, like so many people, even when I got into you guys, you were you were already broken up. Um, I had maybe known oh, yeah. about you for six months, and then I realized you broke up, and I think a lot of people have that same experience, so I think at that time, in that moment in Colorado, like meeting those guys, what was the feeling, and how did that come about?
0: Well, Front Funtrad came about from, I went to high school with Ron and Jason, Uh, They were younger than me, so they, you know, I always... When you're in high school and someone's younger, they're not as cool, you know? So, like, they were, like, starting these little bands together. And I was in this band, the first band... remember the band they heard me in was... I was in a band called Lillawatt and a band called Turnkey. I was in a band with older people um, that I met from... Actually, the first band I was in, it started because I wrote a... And, you know, back to this kid, Maximum Rock and Roll... Who, uh, this kid Steve Revitt, who was like one of my best friends, um, just wrote, like, I'm into bad religion and Green Day and blah, 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 and like, let's start a band. So, um, I was just. That's awesome. A lot of it. Maximum Rock and Roll was like huge. I mean, like, at the time, like, I just saw this ad at the back, and it was just like, oh, Kid and Denver wants to play music. So we started Little Lot. And then we started the their band called Turnkey, which was a complete Drive Like Jago ripoff, because that was right when the first Drive Like Jago record came out, and I was like, we're doing this, you know, like, whatever they're doing, we're doing it, (laughs) Um, (laughs) and then um, those bands broke up, but then, so they were, like, these younger kids, you know, I I probably graduated at that point, but, like, do you want to come over and play, and we're, like, I was, like, okay, I will come over, like, I need some place to store my aunt anyways, Um, and we just started kind of playing, because they they were really, they really wanted to be in a skate rock band for some reason, Um, I remember that. And um, it was, I thought it was cute. You know, like the little band was cute and, um, and they always, I had, for some reason maybe looked up to me because I was older, but, so I would go over and jam with them and then eventually like we just started writing songs. And um, they had started another band with Carry, who was, um, you know, the bass player obviously. And he just showed up one day accidentally because he thought they were supposed to be practicing. And showed up as like, what the hell's going on here? You guys have another band? And I was like, no, we're just practicing, you know. Like, he was actually kind of pissed. I, I felt like, but we're like, you know, because he was a guitar player. But I'm like, we have two guitar players right now. Like, grab the bass and play with us, you know. And that day, we ended up writing like three songs. And and just, it was like one of those like magical moments. We're like, holy shit, we should keep doing this. You should just keep coming over, and we'll keep playing. And. That's what happened, you know. Basically, and then all of a sudden, we we pretty much had that first DP written in like you know probably like two months, you know. Because was was like, the... we were just sorry,
2: sorry to interrupt, but like how no, it's for... interesting. It's interesting because you guys, <clears throat> since like you said, the the goals, you know, you didn't collectively come together, being like, hey, we would like to sound like you know bands A, B, and C. It sounds like you had sort of. You know, an idea, and then the other guys kind of had an idea. Like, how did you arrive at the sound that you guys did? Especially just because.
0: Well. Yeah, was, but we were listening to the same stuff, though. Like, I mean, at that time, we were really, you know, I was really into Superchunk of the time and um... Offs. I was, I was, I was always buying because I went to this big lookout times like this. I was one of those lookout kids where I bought anything that came out of Lookout from the early like Sami and stuff. Um, even, like, Jawbreaker. I remember I got that as a Christmas gift right here. And, um, so, like, but those... But charity was definitely someone that came from the outside. I was like, I totally... I, I know those bands, too. And um, and we started, like, this off with that because I think a lot of, like, our first shows we would even play covers. Like, we, there was a, a great band from Portland called Cracker Bash. And uh, we covered one of their songs. And we actually did a Super Chunk song one of our first shows. But we were just... Really into that type of music at the time because at the time it was really a great time for that type of music, you know. But like when the first Superchunk, because I remember someone telling me go buy the No Pokey for Kitty record, and I remember like being blown away by it, you know. Like it's like, holy shit, that's a fucking great record. And, and uh, Carrie actually was like, have you ever heard The Archers of Loaf And I was like, no, yeah. You know, like and then I remember hearing that, like, whoa, you know, like. Um. So we we were all on the same page in that way. Um. So, you know, it was easy to, like, come up with a sound, you know. Even though it was really, like, when I, when I listened back, it didn't really sound necessarily like those bands, but we were, that's where we were coming from, you know. Just all, like, you know, Lookout Records and Discord and um, whatever band was cool at the time, you know. That we thought were cool at the time, you know. Silkworm. Silkworm is another one. But, uh, but yeah, so it was just lucky. we just, we, we were on the same page, basically. And just started writing songs.
1: I mean, it's so many. I, I just, you know, I was kind of thinking back because I knew you guys had the anthology CD, but all those kind of came from those seven inches. And you know, one of the seven yeah. inches you guys did was with Jimmy Eat World. Um uh-huh. And obviously, that's you know, a great thing to do early on.
0: Um, you know. Well, they we, weren't that. You know, at the time they, they were, like were a punk band, weird band from Arizona. Yeah, yeah and, and actually, when we first heard them, like when I first time I heard them, they were they sounded like no effects. Like they were like, they were like an LA punk sort of thing, like but in Phoenix. But um, but then they changed their sound, and they then they became amazing. But I um, think we met them on our very first tour because uh, Jim and his friend were decided that they were booking shows in Arizona and. And we sent them the first 12 inch, and like, can we play, can we play, you know. The back then, you would send the 12 inch out, and like, please give us a show, you know, because we want to go on a tour. You would just book your own, you would just book your own tour. You just call people up and be like, uh, so you figure out a path, so like we're gonna go through Arizona, and then up through California, and to Portland, and come back home, and then you would just keep calling people, like, can we please get a show in the city this night, you know? And you would just keep doing that. But at the time, it was easy for some reason. Now, when I look back, but Jim from Jimmy World is one of the one of the people that was like, yeah, we're in Jordan, Arizona. Um, when I met him, he had like carried into in his ass. And, like, <laughs> it was you know, he was really different awesome. too. But, uh, um, but, you know, but that's what you would do back then. You would just call people and then you'd jump in a van, you buy a van, put your, your gear in the back and you would just go, you know. And uh, it was fun. I mean, it was a fun time, definitely. And then that's how we met those guys. How
1: i think I think they slowed down because of you i think, what? I think they they stopped being a punk band once they saw you guys.
0: It's possible because Jim was a really, really big fan. Jim loved us, and like was and I think he liked the fact that we were softer, you know, and um 'cause when we first met them, Tom was a lead singer, and um that was you know it was we it was a different band altogether. Not that it was bad, but I actually really like Tom's vocals, and like when they play live now, I love him, Tom things. Um, but uh yeah, and for some reason, like there was some switch with the vocals, or like Jim like was more kind of like maybe listening I don't know, I, I tell you, I can't speculate on what they were thinking at the time, but I remember just all of a sudden Jim started singing, and they just slowed down. Well did they one thing they did do was like they were doing what we were doing, but better. You know, and then we noticed it. You know, like, fuck. <laughs> like, a little better than me. <laughs> a lot better. And then, uh, you know, did you, whatever. Meet, did, you remember...
1: meet the, did you meet the Boys Life? Or, I mean, if you saw another Jimmy Eat World thing, I just, I mean, the same thing with Boys Life. Like, same meeting up. Was it the same? Like, sending out a record and then...
0: No, Boys up? Life was... Boys Life sent us a record. And, because we used to, like... At one point, all of our friends lived in this warehouse in downtown Denver where we would set up shows... And we would, I mean, like, basically we just let, it was a warehouse that was like kind of set up already for shows because whatever like older band in Denver, like it's, you know, this the generation before it's set up and they built a stage and at one point that scene just kind of burnt out and like we, my friend Steve Revitt was, I was in that band with Willow and Turnkey, he found that place and was like, well, this is a great warehouse where, like, actually there was living spaces in it so you could move into it. And there was a stage in the back, and then we just started doing shows there. And it became, you know, people, it's got some word of mouth. And then one day we got a turn inch by this man called Boys like from Kansas. Like, we like to come play in Denver. We're like, whatever. Yeah, we'll throw you on the show. We'd never heard them. And I I remember that night, actually, because everyone at the place was like, holy shit, (laughs) these guys are really fucking good. I remember that, especially because the whole place, you know, was like, this is, this band's so fucking good. And we just became friends at that point and um, decided, you know, like we started playing shows together and like, let's just go on tour together, you know, because then they heard us and we jived, you know. And uh, it was just one of those. But they, they actually came to us. Um, and they were just, they were fantastic. Like early boys life shows. That's one thing I, I, uh, anyone who's into emo, it, the people who've never saw early boys life shows are, are, uh, missing a huge part of it because that was one of the bands that was like, holy shit, but like something, something's happening right now, you know, and it's really good. Cause they have this like this weird dynamic of just being soft and loud and just blew people away. I mean, when you would see them live, you're like, you literally just like, I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I'm fucking, you know, like I'm blown away right now. It's like being beat over like a, a head with a two by four when you saw them early, early on. Just unbelievable for you, you know. And to this day, I I would love to go back in time and see them live again in that time period. You know, just fantastic. So like we became friends with them, and then they got hooked up with Crank, but that's another story. I mean, later on. Yeah, I mean, we'll I don't this... want to stop it.
1: No, I love. No, oh, come on. This is like yeah. this is like emo gold. Um, you know, I think, I mean, was was, um, when you saw yeah. Mineral for the first time, was that something the same thing where it was like a oh. record, or was it you guys were in Austin and?
0: We well, were in Austin. Um, we happened to play this. Like, we were actually not in Austin, we were in Houston. There used to be an, the, the club EMO. There used to be one in Houston and one in Austin. And the mineral thing was just a complete random thing, too. Like, we just happened to get booked on the same show. Um, and not even, like, for any reason. You know, like, we didn't know each other. It just we showed up at this club in uh, Houston, because we were just doing one of those, like, in one of our weird little tours that we had set up. we just get the man and, like, lose money, basically and you know because we were like 20 at the time we didn't give a shit and um <laughs> and um we show up to this club in Houston and we start you know replaying like they're like there's this band actually called Mineral and I remember just watching them, like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like, what was that. And even, like, Carrie, like, we ended up putting out their first record, and, like, I mean, they were just, they were, there was another situation. But the, the funny thing about them was, like, they had nothing to do with the scene we were a part of. Like, they they had this kid that they called the a manager. You know, like, they were like, this is our manager, Jeff, or whatever his name was. And we're like, well, you guys have a manager? You know, like, what the fuck is this? You know, and, like, you're, like, why do you guys need a manager? You're playing, like, shitty clubs in Houston. Um, and they had no idea that like there was like this punk scene. Um, they were really just like we want to get a major label and do well. And I, maybe I mean I'm only speculating because at the time they seemed like they were just somewhere else. But we we're like there's this kind of scene that you guys don't know about. Like you should go on tour with us because you guys are awesome. And uh, and I and sure enough, we took them on tour and like every time we'd go out with them, like people were just like this band's amazing, you know, and. Uh, they just kind of like I think we helped them onto that like getting introducing them to the the punk rock sort of like circuit you know that was like you know the books your own fucking life stuff and the Max Rock and Roll but uh, I remember yeah they were fucking awesome like that was one of the only bands we played with because we would play with the weirdest fucking band you know like all the time you just show up and like we play with bands that sound like the, you know the, the Crash Test Dummies and like oh my God <laughs> we get up. You know, it was like, I like that all the time, but then Mineral was just like, man. And I remember Carrie, especially, our, you know, the bass Player, he was just like, I'm fucking starting a record label, the first record I'm doing is Mineral Record, you know. And we actually released that first, or Kerry technically did it. Um, that actually came out on Hopfield later. Um, we were just like, we love this band. So we just go on tour with them. And, uh, and, and sure enough, they got huge. Cause I knew, like, I knew that the people I knew were, were going to love them, you know, and they did, you know, and it, to, they, actually to, they to, got bigger, bigger than us eventually.
2: To when, when you say, uh, like when you say huge, um, because like Tom was saying, like, I, I'm, I was never able to see you guys play live. Um, like, so what, in your mind, like what was huge
0: back then where it's like, you know, like, Oh, was, like... that's funny. Cause that's funny. You mentioned that because like, you really, it really wasn't like, I mean, that was like, if you can get like a hundred people to show up to a show, you're huge. you know like, Okay. It wasn't like, you know, we were playing in people's living rooms and shit, you know, like a lot of our shows are in basements and, and just like whatever, like they rented out of the BFW hall. And like, if you can get a hundred people to a show, like you were considered like big at the time, you know, like, we were we were completely tuned out of anything that was like pop culture. You know, like it was um we just had this whole little our own little scene. But you can tell like, you know, if you had a bunch of kids with backpacks show up to your show, you know, with like, you know, catches on them and uh you knew you knew you were doing well, you know, like it was it was strange, you know. And that was with Chrissy Frunside, you know, we got into that scene and that's kind of where we were coming from but it was all because of heart attack magazine too heart attack magazine was huge like instigator and all of that yeah
2: you know? hmm. interesting i ne- i had no i mean I- i'm familiar with heart attack and obviously they helped especially being from like i'm i'm from southern california and so seeing how they how, you know, heart you're attack, from think, california yeah i am from california and seeing how Ebullition yeah. and Heart Attack like really helped develop that scene. I had no idea that they played a part in kind of
0: developing the oh.
2: emo-ish stuff.
0: We would not be talking about Crazy French Drive right, right now if it wasn't for Heart Attack Magazine. There is no way because we had this. We had this one good review in that magazine. Um, we just happened like we would send. Cause we would send our record out like and the guy who put out like I have to get credit to the guy who put our record out was this kid named Paul Kane from. Bob uh, Denver, who was very into the punk scene, like he even got, more Crust, like into Crust punk later, but um he would do everything, buy a book, punk rock, like, we're selling shit for $4, so there's no, like, we're not fucking people over, I'm a huge fan of Kit McClard, I mean, so we sent our record to Heart Attack, and we got this amazing review we just happened to get to this one kid who was like, I love this record. Because it could have, like, that type of thing, it could get to the wrong kid, you know? Like, when people are reviewing your record, like, they have, like, a few people reviewing. Like, you have some kid who just wants to listen to nothing but hardcore. If he you gets your record, he's going to be like, this sucks. You know, like, it's so easy for that to happen. Because it's just, you know, because music's objective, you know? So we happened to get this one kid who's like, I love this record. And he wrote this, you know, just beautiful review about it. And literally, like, a day later, everyone was calling us, you know, like, you guys have to play at our place. And after that, it was easy. And it was all because of that magazine, really. Because um, everything just turned. It was like that night and day. We playing, in, we literally were playing in people's living rooms like their friends. Like, there were, like, 15 people there sitting on a couch watching us. I remember that happened in San Jose, California we show up and like, So, let's go to the show and like like, No, you're playing here in the living room and uh and there's just these, you know, fifteen kids sitting on the couch looking at you like, Yeah, yeah, you guys are okay. Yeah, you know, like that
2: was a. <laughs> yeah, that's that's um, so that's so funny because now it's like, you, you look at uh, you know, like a basis of comparison, like alternative press. Like obviously, that's like one of the largest music sort of publication okay. that's that's around. And I, I could tell you for a fact that you know even if a band gets a glowing review in that, it's not like their career turns around like how you were able to kind of <laughs>
0: pinpoint that for C Front Drive. Well, that scene, that too, was very... It wasn't as big, and so, like, it was a very small amount of people. and But, like, it was actually at the same time, like, big. Like, when you really look at the whole country and, like, where it was reaching, it was actually... It reached pretty far, right? And there was a lot of kids with the same ideals at that time. And, you know, I don't know if I bought into the whole thing, you know, like... Because we were always like, well, we just... We happen to be doing well but I didn't didn't agree with all of it because a lot of the kids seemed very like uh, I don't know they were just not like posers you know like like, I felt like we got big at one point because people told people we were supposed to be good you know like if you got a good review in Heart Attack then everyone everyone thinks you're good you know like and it's not like it wasn't like Everyone listened to the record. It was like, "This is fantastic." I think a lot of people just like, "Oh, heart attack told me this is a good record." So yeah, it's a good record, you know. Um, and which is weird with music. It's like that all the time, you know. Like, look at Pitchfork is the, like the complete like, you know, realization of that idea. Like records don't do well unless it gets to like a, they get this amazing Pitchfork review. But you know who gives a shit? Like really, some one kid at Pitchfork love this record so it's going to get huge you know if you get a good review of Pitchfork shit opens up and I think maybe Pitchfork is like the, the heart attack of um, you know the corporate world and in a weird way you know if that makes sense
1: Oh, that makes total sense. I hate Pitchfork. Um, <laughs> just personally, I just I, I I agree. It's just this one review and and one one instance, and unless you um, and if and if you don't get it, you're forgotten about, and um, mm-hmm. and it's like it's tough. When I used to have bands ask, you know, oh, I want to. I want to get on Pitchfork and and I couldn't you know sometimes you couldn't even get a review and they would just get bummed out and yeah, it's definitely hard I've
0: been a part of like the worst like Antarctica got like one of the worst Pitchfork reviews ever (laughs) you know like it like had like a 2.1 and the guy was just like fuck this record you know like (laughs) but he actually wrote it out like a story um do you know the reviewer that like there was this one reviewer on Pitchfork that like actually went on to do movies and he was, all of his reviews were, like, narratives. Interesting. Um, do you know who this kid is? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, no. He, he actually, like, end, ended up doing a couple, like, movies that, like, might have been, like, you know, kind of major mo- motion pictures. Um, and he would always, do, instead of writing a review, he'd write the story, like, me and my friend are walking down the street, blah, blah, blah. You know, you like, read it, and they're like, you no, know, because the Antarctica review, we reading it, and we're like what the fuck, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if like it it doesn't like it. And by the end, then he was like, this record sucks. <laughs> you know, like, it's very less instantly, where it's fine. And then, like, and then the review, like, 2.6, damn. But he basically told us to listen sound like, New Order, which is actually probably, that was the only true thing in the whole thing. We actually were, like, kind of on this. You know. That's We're going to play, like, New Wave stuff. And, you know, for better or for worse, Maybe we were one of the first bands who did that, you know, because that became big later. I don't think it's because of us. We just, you know, luckily we were like one of the first bands to like try to turn like New Order or like uh, Underworld. Or... I remember showing up to like these emo shows, like and we had all these keyboards set up, you know, like we had MIDI keyboards set up, and these people were like, you know, like you assholes!" He's <laughs> like, "What are you doing?" But we'd also be like, "Oh, thanks, Kristy from there's so many shows we just see see people looking at receiving, you know, <laughs> you suck. But then like five years later it was like the big thing I'm like, God damn it we, I always missed the boat. Yeah, you know, like Well that's the thing about
1: I mean, the some of the bands that you were probably touring with toward the end. I mean, I wanted to get your take on some of the some of the other bands you you know, with Christy probably touring. I mean Promise ring. I know when we had chatted um, a few weeks ago, you were telling me that you know Davy was Davy was all about Duran Duran.
0: Oh, Davy, not even Davy. Like it was a Scott Vesta, who was, was a bass player. Oh, it was a bass player. Like a huge, yeah, no. And that was the guy. He eventually got. You know, that's the type of. I don't know. I would not talk about that too much because I always. I don't know what happened with that situation. There was a lot of allegations, and which I thought were ridiculous because I thought Scotty was just the greatest guy ever. um but he was a big grand ran fan and when we were on tour with him he was always searching for like Grand Duran singles and um and really I just not that I didn't like them later, but like early on the promising were just the shit when you saw them. Like they were like they were so like they were so like cool. You know, like when you see them like this band is so fucking cool, you know, like and we we, we did a couple of tours with them and right before they recorded that first record and they were just they were just so great. You know, like and later, like, maybe I just wasn't, like, into what they were doing later on. And I probably would like it more if I was to it now because maybe they were just higher up on the echelon than I was. But, um, God, they were kind fantastic. Of like, early on, like, I remember we you, you play live with them, you're like, God, you didn't want to play after them. You know, they were just so great.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, just the, those tours, I mean, I, I know we've probably spoken about these tours. I mean, are they... I saw Jimmy World open for them. And it was, you know, that was, they were it. And on those tours, did you start seeing people sort of, because they were sort of the more poppy, the more, you know, really hook-laden, tight songs. It wasn't angular. It was really direct.
0: Well, so they kind of came out of that, like, I, I remember playing this Detroit Fest. One of the, like, the first times we ever went to the whole East Coast, we ended up playing... Not in Detroit, but some weird city out of, out of the skirts of Detroit. Because the Detroit Fest was a big thing for a long time. And, um, um Livonia, Livonia, Michigan, that's where it was. And you have bands like Still Life. And the first time we went there, uh, Lifetime, I remember seeing Lifetime for the first time at that time period. You know, they just have this like two day fest and we ended up playing with Captain Jazz. You know, like and um and just sitting in this back room with them, like Because it was like they they somehow paid all the bands through like how far they traveled. And so we got like for some reason for some reason just coming from Denver we were just we got this shitload of money and I remember always this day I remember Davey being like, Holy shit, getting up in the meeting like, You guys are paying these guys four hundred dollars? You know and uh like, I was like, I don't know, like I have nothing to do with this, you know, like um but it was this amazing uh thing. But then I feel like there was a that that scene if you go to Chicago and like um and when, you know, the whole like southern Illinois or not I don't know if it's southern, but where's Champagne, Champaign, they had a whole other sound there, like that was kind of uh their own thing. And I never understood that sound. But promising was coming out of that, like the like cap and jazz, um which we went on further with, like, American football and all those bands. That sound, because it almost seemed like it was, like, more, like, started by the Kentucky things, like, Slint and all those bands. And they had this whole other thing going on there that I didn't, I just didn't understand. But, like, it was cool, though. Like, you know, when you play those bands, like, who are you influenced by, you know? And Promise Ring was one of those first bands, like, that maybe were kind of influenced to me. Like, when I first time I heard them, I thought they were, like, kind of Sunday Day Real Estate-ish. Um, but they also have like, this weird Chicago, Kentucky thing going on that we didn't understand. I never was influenced by it. And so when we would play with them, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I never what a cool sound, you know, just kind of jangly pop. Um, not that Slint was jangly pop, but, like, something somehow something came out of that, like, you know, those bands. There was a great band called Sweep the Lake Johnny. Do you guys know those guys? I
1: saw them uh, a few times actually. They I never saw bands growing up in Vermont, like this they never they never came through unless they were a hardcore band, like sick of it all. And Sweep the Leg Johnny came through and I They're was blown awesome. away. I bought everything they had okay. and that was like it was I probably haven't someone probably hasn't referenced that band in a very long time in and it's great that you mentioned them. It's just that—that that was that totally, you know. It was direct, but it was had a little curve to it. That I don't know if if people haven't checked them out, definitely look, look, look them up.
0: They were one of those bands that like seemed to be on something that we weren't, you know, like uh, that. They were, uh, you know, they knew something that we didn't know, and it, I don't think they'll never get the credit for it. But I think they started a lot of that uh, angular, like mass rock shit in kind of a way. I remember even meeting them. It's like these are the weirdest dude I've ever met. Um, and also, met no them, one references they, they math this Amazing rock story anymore. about them being robbed. What?
1: I was just saying, no one mentions math
0: rock anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, it was not, it would, sometimes it doesn't always go hand in hand with emo, but like it kind of does in some ways. Because if you listen to like polvo and bands like that, it kind of it kind of it mixes, you know. And a lot of a lot of those bands are usually bigger than the emo bands. So, like, I think a lot of emo bands would, like, copy bath rock. Because Slint, I remember once, I would, when you were, like, in the emo band, or I don't even, I hate saying that because no one considered that at the time. But the bands, like, if you listen to, like, the you Promising know, Promise Ring and Us, everyone, like, we'd listen to bands like the Rachels and um, Fork and App Carnation and Slint and stuff, and, like, we be really influenced by it. And so, like, it seemed kind of cooler than what we were doing. You know, um, it was much bigger. When you first heard that first Flint, right, you know, or not the first one, but the s- Spiderland, you're just like, wow, you know, like this is a whole nother level of what we're doing in some way. What, but, uh, what do you, and I feel like a lot of people were, were like copying, not copying, but like being influenced by it, especially in the Chicago region.
2: Yeah. What are you, um, kind of you know pulling it back into the chrissy front Driveish type stuff because i mean obviously since you guys only existed for a short period of time um is there a specific moment or two that kind of sticks out to you where it was like you kind of step back and were like holy shit like people are either getting us or like this is an amazing show that we played or you know something that kind of like made you really sort of you know be shocked
0: at what you were doing um I would say, I think it's probably happened more now. I'm still, it still amazes me that people give a shit about us. At the time, we would play, you know, because we really weren't greatly appreciated when we were around. I don't think, you know, it's not like we'd go and, like, we we didn't have easy tours. Like, we would come home with, like, 400 extra dollars and be super happy, you know. Um, Maybe, maybe, like, playing in Galia because of the heart attack thing. There was one point where we played a show in Goleta, which we're, I think Car Attack was based out of that Santa Barbara, Goleta, California thing. We showed up, like 400 kids showed up to see us, and it was like, wow. Like, I've never, like, I can't believe all these kids are here to see us today, you know. Um, but it was just small stuff like that. I mean, but now well, that, it just but... amazes me more that we're still talked about, you know, because it's not like we were, I don't really don't see us as being some, like, amazing fans, you know. We just kind of were lucky enough to be part of some weird scene and be at the right place at the right time, you know. That yeah, makes, uh, amazes me more than, like, we're having this conversation right now, amazes me, you know, like, that you even give a shit what I'm talking about. There's you know? a crazy guy that <laughs> has a website.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, I think it is uh, an interesting, I mean, time. I mean, the, you, got, you know, the don't forget to breathe comp stuff. Just, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, all those bands, Sunday's Best, Sunny Day, Captain Jazz, like you mentioned, just that scene kind of had this this moment, and you guys were definitely there and and part of it. And I think even just the mineral connection, and obviously Jimmy Eat World. I mean, you're connected to these bands that sort of were out from it, and I think it's I think that's why. Well, it's cool,
0: yeah. It was a fun time. I mean, like looking back, it was just really lot of luck, and you know, that we just happened to all run into each other, maybe. Maybe it wasn't luck. Maybe maybe things are destined to be in some kind of weird way that like you know certain scenes happen. And everyone just there's certain like stars align at one time period and um, everyone just to see eye to eye for a little bit. And it had that feeling though, like when we we when we were on tour in that time period. it was just it was just so much fun. There was just so much love. You know, like we were going around you would just like sleep in people's houses and they would cook you meals and um, we would just basically jump in the van and like you didn't have, it was like a free free vacation, you know, like if you just played music, you know, like you would and you would show up and everyone knew each other and like, oh and, you know, John in Chicago and Seth in South Dakota like we all, like, we all know each other and it was like this weird connection between all these people that like Really, like, deep down, and that's the one thing that doesn't, you know, I'm sure it happened today, because I'm not sure about, like, you know, whatever scenes are going on, but, like, everyone just cared about the music, and, like, and maybe there was, there was a little, like, selfishness and, like, being in the scene, like, I'm punk rock, and I look like this, and I have a bag on, you know, there was, like, a little of that, because that's the funny thing, the funniest thing to me about punk rock is, like, everyone tries to be so... Like, we're so outside of the establishment and we're so different, but like, they all act the same, like, when you're in, you know, like, they're all the same kid when you go, like, you know, from town to town. But the one thing that was there was, like, a love of music, you know, and back then, the, you don't see much anymore. You know, like, when you would go and play, like, kids would almost start crying when you're playing because they were just so connected to what you are doing. And that was, that was the most amazing part. You know, I remember playing this show in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, the kid, this kid, Matt, who ran File 13 records for a while, and they had a friend of theirs that died in some car accident, and they just kind of, like, shut down the scene, and we played the first show when they finally decided to start doing shows again in Little Rock, and this, it, the room was just, like, all these kids who were, like, kind of remembering this, this, this you know, friend that died of... I, I think he died of a car accident. It might have been a car accident. It might have been some kind of sickness, but... Either way, we're sitting in this room playing this show, and the kids are in tears. <laughs> you know, and we're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, are these kids, like, crazy? But we realized later that, like, you know, it's like, it brought, this whole room was just brought together. Like, you, that's one thing a lot of bands will never feel when they're, like, big, you know, like, corporate bands. Like, you're sitting in this room, and, like, everyone is together in some weird way. It's like this this kinship with everyone in the room. You're playing, and everyone's, it's, it's it's an amazing feeling, like, it's like it like almost brings you to tears when you're like, it's like holy shit, why why is everyone so into this show? But and that's the way the scene was back then. Like it was like this weird kinship with all these people across the country, and like we all believe in the same thing. We're all against racism. We're all against fascism, and you know, which you know, which sounds fascism sounds stupid, but um, it was like this like we're, we felt like we were better than everyone, you know, in some way. Like it were like we kind of got. We got the way things work but no one else did, you know? That uh, the rest of the world was just like a bunch of robots, and we were just actually enjoying life, and no one else was, you know? And that was that was kind of cool, you know? That was a cool feeling, you know, the alienated people, you know?
1: Well, the I think, too, it, it kind of leads into, you know, if it's, you know, you guys had, had broke up, and then from that, from, you know, 97 on it was sort of on for the <laughs> things kind of broke. Well, I mean, I felt like it was, yeah. it definitely broke at some point and it, it kind of took a different, it took a different light.
0: Everything does. I mean, like the, the problem is when money is introduced, everything changes, you know? And that happens with any scene. Like if look at, I mean, Nirvana, like any of those bands, like once money's introduced, like it, the ideal would go to the wayside, you know? And, not for, you know, I'm not blaming anyone for that, you know, like, but it takes, like, even take country music, you know, like, country music was a very important, like, very interesting, like, cultural phenomenon, but then once people start getting paid, it just turned into shit, you know, and that's the way everything happens, you know, like, it, even, like, uh, maybe the lecture clash scene in New York was kind of cool at one point, I don't know, I, I have no idea where those kids were coming from, but, like, once is introduced everything turns to shit for some reason. You know, like, and because you can't really, it's really hard to mix money in art. You know, because once you mix it, I don't know what it is. It just, it seems to, like, kill the art for some reason in some odd way. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but...
1: No, I—I I think I think the scene, you know, there were bands that were, you started to see the buses. And You started to see sort of the complaining. You started to see the fifteen oh. merch designs, and it's not a problem that they're trying to make money off it. It just it 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 started to get bigger. It started to have more people. The you know certain other groups of people started oh. listening to it. So
0: yeah, it, I, I, I I that's feel the it hardest part of it. That's the a hard it's a hard part of it because for me, like I'm actually, and I'm not trying to be like I'm just like I'm better than everyone else sort of thing like because I actually think my the way I think is probably like it's probably not a not really, it's probably I'm trying to think of ways without offending people but I mean it's it's probably hurt me more than helped me that like I, I hate when art turns into like a money making sort of like like I know and I just don't offend friends who have done it you know I just I, there's something about, like, when, it, when the two mix together, like, there's something that the heart leaves somewhere, you know? Like, it's like they, it kind of drains, and then everyone's worrying about their, how much money they're making, and um like, when the bands are going a major label, it's like, we just want to write some hits, we want to see this label, and we're going to get this, like... But, like, all of a sudden, like, what they were doing before, like, that was why people liked them in the first place is gone. You know, like, why you love Jawbreaker is because when you listen to the records, you're like, God, this fucking hit me so hard, you know, like, emotionally hit me. But then when they're, like, writing hits, you're like, well, it's not the songs are bad, but you, it, I don't there's something about it, like, and it, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to put your finger on, because I think some people have pulled it off and done it both ways, but... The problem is I feel like a lot of labels go into scenes that have like this, you know, some heart to it and they just rape it and like kill it in some way, you know? Like we're we're going to start introducing money and like most people will take money. I mean like no one's stupid, you know? Like I would rather make money than not, you know? Like I would like to like have money to buy records and – and but they take these kids who are like really doing it for the right reasons and like once you start offering them money, like it kind of kind of gets killed. In some way, it's a weird thing. Like money has this weird ability just to kill um, heart in some way. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And I would, I would have been just as you know. I think I would have fallen for the same thing. I'm not saying I wouldn't have. If someone says like, "Here's a million dollars," I don't know what I would have done. You know. <laughs> Well, the,
1: I think uh, I wanted to bring up, is too, is, you know, you guys breaking up, you've got this time frame, and then the reunion in 07. What yeah. was the feeling coming back, playing that show? I saw some video of it. I mean, it looked like such a, you know, you guys were having fun. and
0: what? That was a blast, yeah. yeah. It was a punk rock, you know, like these these really cool kids, and it kind of stemmed from that whole, like, um... I feel like one of our biggest fans and member was uh, Jared from... Uh, um, Plane's Mistaken for Stars, you know. Um, he was, like, one of those kids that, like, saw us in Denver. And his name's Jared, right? Am um, I getting the name wrong? No,
2: you're right.
0: But um, he was, like, part of that Denver scene, and and it was kind of like, it was Denver, like the Denver Fest was kind of like an offshoot of, like, the, the Fest in Florida, the um, Gainesville Fest, you know, no idea thing. And so, like they would have another one, but they, they were like, we should have, she probably play, so like, we basically just kind of, we'll fly you out, just play the show, and, but it, was, it had this great feel of like, you know, like everyone was just, it was appreciative, no one was making money off of it, and, you know, like it was, we would just like to see you play these songs, one more time, you know, um, which actually, ends up, spurring us into playing more, because we ended up realizing, we love playing with each other, you know, um, but it was a blast, I mean, I don't know, that show was, Amazing, you know. When you sitting there playing with people, appreciate appreciate what you're doing. It was actually like I've never, we've never played a show like that where like people are just like, we're so excited to see you. Right? Besides Brooklyn, that was the other show that was, you know, that doesn't happen very often.
1: I mean that yeah. end that end of the Brooklyn show. I mean, it was just to have those people there waiting and and wanting to say hi and have these moments. And I was one of them. And and I think that was such a beautiful thing, um, you know, to have oh, that happen.
0: It was it was awesome.
2: Yeah, we had a great
0: time, I mean, when you can sit there and play music that you love and then like have like, the, you know, these cool people in the crowd just like, you know, just like they actually appreciate what you're doing and get it, it's, it's a huge thing because I mean, when you're playing, you can just steal it. It just felt like the old days when you're playing to these people and everyone's emotionally tied to each other. And people were there
1: from all of the time. Like, era, I mean, uh, Texas, Uh, Reason was there, guy from Boys Life was there. It just, it seemed like everyone kind of came out to the show, (laughs) like we used to.
0: (laughs) Well, I think we all love each other in some weird-odd way, you know, like, because we were all a part of something that, like, a lot of people weren't, you know. And and it's, it's cool, you know, like that. And it's still appreciated, but, like, it's almost like you know how these become. And I'm not saying we're kind of boot. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, I'm just saying like when you're a part of, it would be the same thing with, like a boot camp. You become really close friends with someone in the boot camp, you know, like because you went through the same thing. You know, like we all had the same experience of like playing these shows in people's basements, and and you you know, there's a kinship there with that, you know, like. We were all together and, like, for better or for worse, we just played these shows and had a great, you know, we was mostly better because we had such a great time, you know. So, because I didn't go to college, like, and I did a little college, but I mostly just went on tour and, like, for me, it's almost like my college buddies in some way, you know, like, when I see those people, like, the people that we, you know, we did these tours with and played with and hung out with and... It was, like, that was my college friends for me, you know, in a lot of ways. But it was almost cooler than college because we were actually, like, doing something, you know, like, we weren't paying our ass for the money to, you know, <laughs> get into some shit like you know, like, I don't know, we were, like, actually, like, there was something we were, we were doing that was kind of important at the time, you know. It felt, like, culturally important in some way.
1: And then you guys got to play, you know, Jimmy World asked you guys to play on the Bleed American tour, which is, you know, that connection is still there. And was there anything fun from that trip that kind of stuck out? And this was a couple months ago, right? Or was it a month ago?
0: Yes. Yeah. It was just, uh, we used to do a long show in LA. And uh, it was fun. But, you know, at the same time, I realized we don't really mix with the Jimmy World crowd. So you kinda of just looked at us like we were crazy. <laughs> you know, like, it was one of those like this is our last show and then you know, a lot of clapping when we said that. <laughs> but like uh, there were a few kids <laughs> yeah. and, I was, and I was like, I know, it's our last so, like you guys wanna watch me role playing. Well, I'd try I don't blame Because 'cause I've been to many shows you're like, I don't want to see the old <laughs> you know. Like, and like, you know, we were never that big We're like most people were like, Holy shit, Chris Huntry thing you know, like there's like you know 20 people in each town and like give a shit about us you know so, well I was I was um, gonna
1: say you guys should've played the Static Prevails tour cause then we're old enough where those kids would've got you but the Bleed American tour is a lot of you know that was their crossover so a lot of the, the uh, fraternity kids um, in that era um, were out there so maybe that was why but that, that that's funny if you're like hey so we got a couple more and then everyone starts clapping so <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, right, yeah, we didn't have that. We just, like, that night, we didn't have that at all. It was awkward. and I, I realized I hate playing on large stages. Like, it just doesn't... I like... When it comes down to it, I, when you're playing in, like, in a basement, and there's just people in front of you, and the place is just kind of moving together, those are, like... I like... I love that, you know? Like, and they're sitting there, like, just 10 feet above people, and they're just sitting there staring at you like you are crazy, and... You know, maybe... I'm sure it's different for Jimmy World, you know, because... They're just loved, you know, like, maybe, like, even to that point, it would be enjoyable, but I hate it. I hate playing in large stages with, like, you know, like, a big sound, and it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel real to me in some way. It feels like I'm in some weird, like, in or something, when I'm up there, you know. There's nothing worse than having, like, 2,000 people sitting there staring at you like you're stupid, you know, <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> it's horrible, you know, it's like a one of, like, a nightmare. And some people, you see some people getting into you playing, and, like, for the most part, you're just, like, people are staring at you, like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, when is Jimmy World coming in? Yeah. You know, so. That's okay. But it was fun, though. I mean, that trip to L.A. was amazing. I mean, I always loved a trip somewhere, you know?
1: Totally. I mean, and just that connection <laughs> was still there. I mean, they wanted you to play the show. Wow. They could have had, in,
0: they the had about, anybody. Yeah. The thing about Jimmy World like, is because they've gotten, they're just, like, Deep down, they're just good dudes. You know, like they're—they were never like—I don't think they were ever like really bought into the punk rock thing that much. I think they really did want to be there where they are now. But like, there's like four regular guys, you know, like they're not like rock star pricks. You know, like they're just like four guys who meet in Arizona in a bar somewhere. You know, and that's the cool thing about them. And that's why I've always been happy that they've been big because like I—I I can't say a bad thing about any of them. You know, like they're just some good. You know, good people, you know, and they just, they're lucky, they realize they're lucky to be where they are. They don't take it too seriously, and they're just good guys, you know, like, and, and plus, just phenomenal songwriters, you know, like, I mean, those records are really good, you know, like, and, uh, but they don't take it too seriously, and they're just, they're cool, they're cool dudes, you know, and, uh, I, Even though you see them now, they're, they're great guys. Like, you know, like, I'm sitting there drinking whiskey. Like, Rick, the bass player, like, makes his own whiskey now, and you're sitting there, like, just getting drunk with him on his own whiskey and stuff. You're like, you guys are fantastic, you know? They're actually doing the right thing. They're just enjoying it, you know? Because um, they know, like, they realize where they are. Like, they know they could go away at any time, and they're just like, we're really fucking lucky, and, like, we're just enjoying it, you know? That's
1: awesome. Well, for you guys, to- I mean, for you, is it, I mean, you've had a bunch of bands after, and, you're obviously still wanting to make music, and um, is that still a passion that you still want to do? And will there be more Christy Front Drive shows?
0: Not really Christy Front Drive, but, like, I I write music constantly. I mean, I'm one of those people that has a song in my head at all times. You know, like, when I wake up in the morning, I have a... I've heard this explained to other people before, but I have, like, a radio station in my head, like, at all times. And I just heard that recently because... I was listening. I was listening to this interview with uh, Howard Stern and uh, whatever lead singer Coplay's name is. You know, Chris Martin. Not my, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and uh, and there is one thing that people who write songs you really do have like this radio station on in your head all the time. That like you just keep hearing music. Like when I wake up in the morning, there's usually music going on in my head. And um, you know, unfortunately, mine haven't. My songs haven't made a million dollars. I have. I have these like. Piece of shit songs that do nothing. But uh, <laughs> at the same time, I uh, I have to like I have to keep writing and I have to get them out of my head in some way because it really is aggravating. You know, like there's, it's almost like maybe having some kind of like a uh, disability in some weird way. So like I get up and like I have to write songs, you know. And so to this point, I, I need to write, keep writing in some way. And I'm hoping at one point that I actually do something great, you know, like. Christy Franchard, you know, like, I'm really pretty good done well, but I I still feel like I have something great in me, maybe. You know, that I, w- I, w- I would like to die. When I die, I would like to, like, have one of those records, where you're like, this record was fucking awesome, you know? Like, it was, you know, it changed, you know, something, you know? I mean, Christy Franchard was just, you know, it was cool, but I still feel like I might have something better in me. And, uh, I, I'm going to keep striving to that until I die, I think. Because I have to.
1: <laughs> well, I, you I, know, I think that's a great way of looking at it, and it, it's that's really poignant. I, I think that's awesome. Like, that's actually something I tell every band when i go up to them i don't really, there's i used to be able to get a, a radio id cuz i worked at a college radio station that was my way to talk to them for 5 seconds but now it's if i do get a moment and i feel like i need to say something it's keep playing music like i i remember telling chris simpson that from when he was when i saw him with zookeeper i just said i love your stuff can you just keep making music because right, well, he's, people he's like amazing it. at it.
0: But it goes with any professional. Like, there's people who write, there's people who are teachers, there's people, and like, they all have, like, if you have this feeling like you can do something great, like, in writers, like it happens more in arts, maybe. Because I would, mean, you know, teaching, because I'm not really a teacher, per se, you know, like I teach, but there's teachers who are like, that great feeling of like, I'm going to do something, I'm going to really change some people's lives. And like, if you have that feeling, you've got to keep doing it, you know, like, or, you know, anyone who writes, you know, you because know, I know Tom, like, writes a lot. And, like, it's just, like, you, I'm sure everyone who does it passionately is, like, I have something great in me. You know, and, like, you have to keep doing it until you feel like you've reached whatever that is that's great in you. And it happens, and no matter what you're good at, like, if you're a mathematician, like, I'm going to solve, you know, the, you know, like, when they solve, like, what was that whole thing with the donut? What the, uh, um, they somehow there's something with mathematicians they're always trying to figure out the the um equation of a donut because of like the roundness and like and some guy dedicated his whole life to it you know and and actually went crazy from it you know and like you know it's it, no matter what you you have to find something you love and just try to be as good as you can you know i think that's one of the most important things in life you know you got to find some kind of it's like the joseph Campbell find your bliss but try to do it great you know in some kind of way and i'm still I'm still chasing that you know in some ways i would like to I would like to die into like someone say that you know the greatest thing ever you know <laughs> I love that.